Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. Uh, this is Marcus Sparks. And I'm Heather Hogan. And welcome to another episode of Headcanon, our podcast about film franchises. Thank you for joining us, Heather. I appreciate you being here. I am so glad to be back. I'm I'm honored. <laughs> I feel it's it's only right because we're closing out Harry Potter here, doing Deathly Hallows Part Two. Got to get the the Harry Potter expert back. Yeah. You guys did uh, an amazing job. I don't usually like to hear other people talk about Harry Potter, but I just <laughs> I felt like you honored the series so well in every podcast that you did, and I just loved them so much. So I'm just glad to be talking to you again. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, this one directed by David Yates, of course. Uh, I think I mean I think they shot both parts one and two at the same time. Basically, just cut them up in editing, so it was all together. But uh, written by Steve Clovis, and this came out July 2011. Um, Heather, I don't know if you listened to the first podcast. I actually didn't read any of Harry Potter until a couple weeks before this movie came out. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, I binged, read everything, and then watched all the movies. This was the only movie I saw. I saw part one in like a discount theater, but this was the only Harry Potter movie I saw like kind of opening weekend. Uh, so oh, that was kind of cool. neat. That's fun. I'm glad you <laughs> saw one on opening weekend. It's a really neat experience. Yeah, it was a midnight show. I mean, everyone is totally into it. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think I've seen two, this being the other. The other one was Order of the Phoenix. I saw that in the theater, and then I saw this in the theater. What is the Harry Potter Midnight crowd like compared? I guess, you know, that's a dumb question, because if, I remember, I still, from my youth, I still remember Midnight movies were, like, for the devoted, the select <laughs> view, the costume right. wearers. It was nerd prom for whatever your thing was. Um, but now it's just dudes and, like, superhero t-shirts they bought at target right yeah mm. i mean there were i think there were some costumes at the one i went to um, i mean people are into it i mean the these days they have like the the 7 p.m shows now the night before um those are just a little more like you know anyone can show up but the midnight screenings usually you get the more devoted people mm. yeah and i felt like the midnight screening for this last one was most people just felt like this was their last chance to go like balls to the wall with all their costumes and stuff so it was really like a manic atmosphere mm -hmm. and i kind of liked it hmm. i can imagine i can imagine people waving wands at the screen that'd be hilarious <laughs> <laughs> well shall we uh, jump into opening statements let's do it all right who wants to go first <laughs> how, about how about you and then me and then we'll go to heather because mine will be the briefest okay mine's not too long um I, mean, I think the the source material that this movie's working from is so strong that like it would almost be impossible to screw it up very much. Um, I mean, it's almost all Act Three, basically. It's just like drama and action. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some kind of slapdash exposition here and there, but it goes by so fast that you know by the time you're starting to get annoyed, they're they're just on to the next big scene. So even though they really hand wave a lot of the Horcrux like explanation stuff. I think a non-book reader would be baffled by this, but I think that ship has sailed. Like, this is the movie for the fans, pretty much. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I think Yates hits most of the big moments pretty well. So, I think, very satisfying movie. I would say that I was so pleased to see that the movie literally starts with us back at Hogwarts, um, after not really seeing it in the, the, the previous movie at all. Uh, you're right. It's basically a movie of two locations. You know, you go from Gringotts to Hogwarts. So, it's it's a very oddly shaped movie but it works for it i didn't like the pace of the opening but uh, i'll just say i'm willing to forgive david yates so many sins just for the scene of the burning dude flying past <laughs> neville's head in slow-mo as he wakes up 
<laughs> I completely forgot about that shot. As I'm watching this last night, I, I just wanted to cheer. Like, it's such a weird comedic moment as you're like, this hero's rising in the middle of all this, like, cacophony of magical violence. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Heather. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this movie. I think that there will never be another movie series like Harry Potter where you bring kids in at, like, the age of 11 and then you age them through eight movies. Um, you know, it's, I just think it's such a fitting tribute to the series. I think it captures the soul and the spirit of the series really well. And I think you're right. By the time this movie came out, the sort of exposition ship had sailed. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't know, if you hadn't read the books, there were still things to enjoy. Um, but I, you know, I don't even get tied up into much of the plot of this film just because I feel like it does such justice to the characters individually and such justice to the relationships between them, which is, you know, one of my favorite things about the book. So I really love this movie a lot. Awesome. All right. Well, we want to get into our uh, top three moments. Uh, I think, Marco, we usually do this in reverse, I think, right? Yeah, I think we started doing it in reverse um, to, to build up some anticipation. I have some. Let me just throw out an honorable mention just before we, we get into it. Uh, it's a small moment when Voldemort, I can't remember what part of the movie this is, but he looks at Lucius and he's just like, how can you live with yourself, Lucius? <laughs> and Lucius is like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just like a really funny comedic moment. Like, Lucius is kind of done with Voldemort at that point. Oh, I yes. love I love Jeremy Isaacs in these last two movies. I just love his look. I mean, as much as I loved his like prancing golden pony look in the first movie that he appeared in the second one, but like this, but he's fallen so hard and that weird tunic that he's wearing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Ever since I noticed that he kind of looks like John Hamm, I just keep thinking of Don Draper as Lucius, <laughs> like kind of like Don on one of his like drunken benders, unshaved face. <laughs> Oh, I would kill to hear John Hamm do a Lucius impression with the wig and everything. Especially the little high voice he'll do sometimes, my lord. You know. Oh, so good. <laughs> um, right. why, don't you, why don't you kick us off, Marco? Uh, so my number three moment, um, all mine are fairly small except for the last one, is basically Ginny seeing Harry, I think, when they get back to Hogwarts. And then in the <laughs> background, there's Ron being oh, gift. So <laughs> She's not excited to see him. I'm only her brother. Hasn't seen me in six months. <laughs> Hermione just looks at him just like, you've been on a winning streak for this whole movie, Ron. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that moment. Just I, Seamus, like, he, he says something like, you know, she's got, like, five brothers, only one Potter or something. But right. I seriously had to rewind that a couple times. Like, Seamus is so hard to understand. <laughs> I was like, I need subtitles for this guy. <laughs> what is that guy doing now? That guy doesn't need to do anything. He was in all the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay. What about you, Heather? Um, so my third one is basically Ron in totality for this movie. Because <laughs> um, I think by the time that this movie came around, they knew that R Rupert Grant was like a really great comedic actor. Mm. Um, and Ron is such a source of comic relief in the most tense parts of all the books, but specifically the last book. He has these great moments of like cutting mm -hmm. the tension and i thought they used him really well for that one of those obviously is the time when he they come through like to the lost boys room and and he's like oh my you know i'm, I'm her brother she doesn't see me <laughs> uh when he chases after crab and goyo's like that's my girlfriend you numpties like i just think that <laughs> yeah. there's so many great uh ron moments that are do such justice to the character so that's yeah that's my number three 
the the classicness of him chasing after them and then like 30 <laughs> seconds later running back right right <laughs> so good yeah i have That's- to say on on my last reread i just did the books I, I really focused on ron a lot and he does get way better in deathly hallows like as soon as he kind of like comes back with the deluminator he's like such a like fun character like it's like he finally got over like the hump and kind of joined them at that their same level of maturity yeah it's like it's like his coming of age happens when he re- like really screws up to the absolute max mm-hmm. and then when he comes back from that that's like it he's like reached his maturity i totally agree with you awesome okay my number three is the uh this is a bit not in the book but i think they handled it really well it's when after harry has kind of gone into the pensieve and figured out that he's a horcrux and needs to die and he runs into ron hermione and he says I think I've known for a while, and I think you have too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking to Hermione, and Emma Watson, just like the way she kind of breaks uh. down, and starts crying. Such a good moment. Mm-hmm. I almost, I really wanted Harry to just be like, name your kid after me, at least, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> she, and she's so great in that scene, too, because she just said, she's just like, immediately, she's just like, it's like she knew all along, and she says, I'll go with you. And the mm-hmm. way she says it is like, yes, you're right. I did know this was going to happen. And yes, I always knew that I would like go with you if you needed me to. Mm hmm. And it's it's different from the book where he avoids them basically, but it, right. it works really well. Um, and it, like I didn't even mind the change at all, just because it's like a really great character moment. The the moment I the thing I took from that is I didn't get the sense that Hermione felt like if she accompanied him, she would necessarily meet her her end either. Like like it would just be him, but it was something about I don't know accompanying your friend to their doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the most like hardcore act of friendship I can think of, you know? That's got to be the hardest thing to watch. Um, but it's like something you would do because they're your friend, and that's where the story goes. I don't know. It's, it's heavy, man. Yeah. We're going to start crying for the end of this. Um, <laughs> my number two My number two was almost was, was my number one for a long time. They switched back and forth, so it really tells you where I'm coming from. But it's Hermione's just like, I've got a plan. It's a little bit crazy. <laughs> And it's just jumping on the back of a dragon. <laughs> then and she's an action to, star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I think to myself, like, I don't need Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I need, like, Hermione Granger and, and the whatever in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I would go back and just read seven books from Hermione's perspective. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Or Ginny's. I would also love Ginny's perspective. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or just the, like, side adventures they could have when, like, Ron and Harry are like bumping their heads against each other, trying to figure out how to go to school and be bros and whatever. Well, my number two is um, when Harry, Ron, and Hermione are running through the courtyard in the middle of the Battle of Hogwarts, mm. and they pass like the music's really great and the action's really great. But when you watch that scene, it's really cool because they go like the first. They face Pictrel and they face the planners and then they face like a werewolf. So as they're like, in, the thing the movie does really well is it puts through like the big bad monster at the end of every book or whatever they face mm, yeah. um, as they're like running through the courtyard kind of in order, um, which is, I think it's just a beautiful moment. And it's, um, it's just really, like, it's a really somber moment too. And I, it's also one of those things like watching Hogwarts be destroyed is devastating. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, I, I always get really choked up at that at that scene. I like it a lot. And it's like speaks to so much of their friendship and so much of what they've been through together. Because they don't even have to communicate. Like, they just they just know, they just know how to be in that 
that situation together. Um, it'd be good to get your opinion on this, Heather, because I think Benji was talking about uh, movie six and how right. basically that scene was one of the things, or the idea of that scene was something they cut out from the end of that. With like the, Harry, the battle in Hogwarts at the end, yeah. Yeah, like running through the, the chaos there, and it's it's he's not focusing on the chaos, he's just you know running after Draco and Snape and everything. And like, do you think they could have put that into Half-Blood Prince, something similar to that? And Yeah, I think they should have. I think it's actually pretty <clears throat> disappointing that they didn't do that. I think that basically, if you don't think that you can pull off a, a, a really nice battle scene and then pull off another epic battle scene. Mm-hmm. I think that's like doubting your ability as a filmmaker. And these <laughs> movies were too good for that. And they had way too much money um, yeah. <laughs> to kind of, to kind of cop out on that in the sixth film. Yeah. yeah. All right. My number two is, uh, you know, I can't remember the spell itself. I think it's something, something locomotor, but when McGonagall d- starts the defensive enchantments, <laughs> Uh, and then t- her line, you know, Hogwarts is threatened, man the boundaries, protect us, do your duty to the school. It's such like a, it's like a Gandalf-esque moment for her. Like, it's, it's just such a cool McGonagall moment. Like, it, it just really felt like epic on like a huge scale. I love that. And then of course I'll- she has a, you know, the, I always wanted to say that. <laughs> and then she said, oh, there's a great line also where she's like, Neville's like, blow it up, boom. And she's like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another great McGonagall scene in that movie. Well, I mean, Maggie Smith is just one of those forces that was, like, I want to say criminally underused, but, like, you know, if a movie that has so many, or series has so many moving parts in such a wide universe and a huge spectrum, it's like you you wish they could have dialed her up a few more percentages. She has a really great scene in every movie. Yeah. 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 I was reading that um, they originally wanted harry to have the kind of duel against snape when they meet up and jk rowling was like no like that's mcgonagall's moment like she needs to be the one who faces off against snape there <laughs> and she's so she's so great she doesn't even flinch mm-hmm. yeah yeah just like immediately takes it up um it's me again oh yeah, so my number you. my number one actually is is harry saying goodbye to his friends at hogwarts uh, when he realizes that Hermione suspected that he was a Horcrux all along, it's it's like Harry's he's he's an adult now, you know. Like even him accepting Dumbledore's quest at the end of Dumbledore's life, you know, from from movie six on, I don't think he fully met the the adult responsibility that this is what you do. This is this is what sacrifice is. It's not just facing death, but it's I don't know purpose, cause. Other heavy stuff that you'd see on a poster with an eagle mm-hmm. pulling a fish out of the water. Courage. Um, I just it was it made me love a lot of the series in general retroactively more than I did uh, to see that it was all going there. You know, like Ron and Harry had their their childish tribulations, but at least he could get to this moment because he doesn't know that he's coming back from it. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I appreciated it. But and just the fact that uh, yet another reminder. Possibly the last one that Hermione is a genius. Yeah, you just need to get it in there one more time. Yeah. <laughs> like, how old was she when she figured that out? Yeah. She's like, Harriet, I figured this out five years ago. <laughs> and I will go with you. <laughs> um, my number one, this is so silly, but I just think it's so great. My number one is when... Uh, Bellat- when Bellatrix goes to into Gringotts and it's Emma Watson's voice <laughs> and it's Helena Bonham Carter playing Emma Watson playing her. 
I love acting moments like that. And mm-hmm. I know that Orphan Black has conditioned us to believe that it's very easy to pull that off. <laughs> uh, but I just think it's a wonderful moment. And it's every time I watch the films, it never ceases to just delight me. Uh, I just think it's so smart and such good acting. And I just love it so much. It's just my number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, Helen Bonham Carter is amazing in that. Oh, I mean, so when I first watched this, I was like, is that is that just Emma Watson in makeup? Like, <laughs> it was really hard to tell because she yeah. does such a good job of playing it as like a younger person, like the body well, I... language or expressions and everything. But in all following up their their very intimate moment at the end of the previous movie to then have to like take on the face of your your enemy right. and be that person, especially as out loud as Bellatrix lives. But the acting there is so good. I mean, obviously, Helena Bonham Carter is a great actor. And it just reminded me kind of how they didn't go that far with the, the three actors who played our big three in the, uh, the ministry scene in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like the two guys, I felt like kind of I could see maybe they were trying to imitate Rupert Grin and, and Dana Radcliffe. I didn't know if the woman was as much. Um, I guess she just kind of like nailed like Hermione's nervousness. Right. But like, yeah, like you said, like this could have very well have been Emma Watson in, in makeup. Yeah. And I would have been like, this is this is genius. It really just makes me wish that Helen the Bottom Carter did more. I don't know if nuance would be the right word, but I mean, she does like really great, just like big, crazy characters. Mm-hmm. And she's done a lot of that recently. But like, she's such a good actress that I mean, I'd, I'd like to see her more and, you know, be more than just like a, a Bellatrix type of character. Yeah, she's a great character actor. She could do all the subtleties of any kind of character that you needed her to do. Mm-hmm. She's so good. <laughs> I did I did read an interview. There was a great interview that came out around the time of the film where Emma Watson talked about uh she just went to Helena Bonham Carter's like castle or wherever she lived <laughs> before the film and they just spent a couple days together and Helena Bonham Carter just kind of like tried to like learn how Emma Watson moved and how she talked and how she held her mouth like when she talked. Emma Watson talked about it being like the most intimidating thing that she's ever done and also just really inspiring like as an actor to be around somebody that could and then by the end like she could mimic her everything about the way she moved perfectly (laughs) which is crazy. Just imagine the two of them in a remake of Persona or something where it's like you think I sure will imagine that. Yeah, like you think that you're like you're, you're actors, you're both actors, and you think you're just having a nice social moment, and then you realize that the other person is now studying you. <laughs> it's just like now you're studying them, and it's like you're both like I don't know. There's transference of personalities. You're <laughs> yes. sharing souls, like like Charlotte and Allison. <laughs> nice. You know, as, as long as we're talking about that scene, I just want to comment, Ron, with like the the long hair and the goatee. Is it me or is that like a way better look for him? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Didn't you want that to be his like 19 years later look a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Hermione should have been like, you know what? Maybe you should, maybe you should keep that up. <laughs> he, I mean, he definitely looks much older and kind of more mature. Yes. It, it took me a moment to realize that that was just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That it wasn't right. Polyjuice. Because I was like, well, who are they Polyjuicing there? Like, who is that? Like, like Euro Trash Bond thug. And then I was like. <laughs> Holy shit balls. This is just Rupert Grant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, my number one moment is the uh, resurrection stone scene mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, Lily and James and Sirius and Lupin all meet Harry. Uh, I mean, it's just a great scene. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're not getting a little misty eyed in that scene, you might want to check your pulse. Mm-hmm. True. That's true. See, th- this is a great example. Like Harry had already seen his parents multiple times before, but the film did it in a new way where it's like just an absolute just punch in the soul. Mm-hmm. So, like, they could do it. They could put a battle scene at the end of two different movies. Like, they're capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could find new ways to hit you. I almost, like, this scene almost made me wish they didn't show up at the end of Goblet of Fire, only because I think that the whatever he says to them, and she counters with, like, well, we've always been here, mm-hmm. I think is, is such a perfect line. I, I, I like that idea that, you know, those people are always with him in, in some way, you know, whether it's they're actual ghosts who can't cross over or it's just, you know, you carry the people you know around with you, your heart and your brain or whatever. But it was like, I don't know, it just this was the moment that I wanted. And it made me look as I do, quite frankly, now look down on Goblet of Fire a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're really we're really like getting torches and like storming Goblet of Fire repeatedly. <laughs> right, yeah. right now. I think it deserves to be said that chapter in the book is so good. Uh, I think J.K. Rowling recently said that was her favorite chapter, and I can definitely see why it would be, because the writing and the prose is, like, really, really excellent. And and I just think that Dan Radcliffe, he grew so much as an actor. You know, his crying is so terrible (laughs) in early in his movies, and he is... Like, he is just such a great emotional actor by the end in that scene where you're just, like, right in there with it with him. Mm-hmm. And it also is uh, both the, the line of dialogue and the um, way that Lily is with him in that scene where she touches his heart is an exact mirror of what Sirius says to him um, at the end of the third movie when he's, uh, like, saying goodbye to him before he mm-hmm. gets mm-hmm. away. Which is, another, you know, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful callback. Well, it, it's it's always good when an actor can explore the nuance of, of something like sadness or a scene like that, but like not resort to just crying. Right. Well, because he know? has to play it like terrified, but resolute. And yeah, yeah I mean, so there's like so many on. different emotions. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are the, the good moments. Uh, top three complaints. Any complaints from you guys? I guess I've had it. I'm just going to sit and yeah. sit and watch this one. Okay. Um, all right. Go ahead, Heather. I really have a hard time complaining about this movie because I just feel like it's such a great film. And I just, like I said, I just feel like it does such justice to the series. My only, it's not a, it's not a complaint, but I really love Ron and Hermione's kiss in the book. And the reason (laughs) I love it so much is because Hermione finally jumps on him when he like gives himself over to caring about the house elves. Yeah. Like, you know, but she's like, he's like, we got to get the house elves out of here. And then she's like, oh, we have to make out now. Um, I think that's a really important like character thing for them and i know it couldn't make it into the movie because they really didn't do a lot with house selves throughout the course of the films but that was just one of my super favorite book scenes that um but I it, it was like that's when ron finally earned it it was like okay now i can make yeah, out with you exactly he really earned earned it in that moment and that's just like so hermione mm-hmm. you know it's funny now that i think about it, there was a moment and it might just be me generally disliking ron over the course of the series, but as they're going to the vault in Gringotts and uh, uh, Warwick Davis is explaining like how they get past the dragon. The dragon's been, been accustomed to, or been trained to know that pain follows the bell. And then mm-hmm. I look over and there's Ron, like the other guy ringing the bell, like really oh. ringing the bell. And I'm just like, oh. 
<laughs> like and Hermione's just like that's that's barbaric, that's torturous, or whatever. And Ron's just like ringing that bell, like he's playing a tambourine in a band or something. And I'm just like, oh god, Ron, I'm really on, on Ron, seriously. Yeah. I have a a few minor complaints. Um, I felt like it was a little bit dark again in this movie, like like okay. literally like dimly lit. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't always notice it, but in a few scenes, it was like, man, this is really dark. After Harry you know, dies there in the woods. All I can see is, um, Oh, I forgot Lucius's wife's name, but all I can see Narcissa. is the, Narcissa. All I can see is the blonde of her hair and mm-hmm. some, some TVs yeah. as, as she's like inspecting the body. And I'm just like, is there, what am I looking at? Did the movie stop? What's happening here? Oh, there's some blonde hair. What's happening? Okay. I, I do. I put my TV on like the gaming setting, which is the brightest mm-hmm. setting when I watch this movie, because otherwise I really can't see some, like you're saying, some of the stuff that's going on in it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we talked about this a little with uh, Half-Blood Prince, which is like really dark. I, I kind of wonder if part of it is just if you're seeing this in a theater where everything is dark and it's like a, a you know bright projector and whatnot, maybe this isn't as noticeable. But when you're watching it on home video, it, it's really like, man, this is really dim. But I felt, I don't know, it's not that, it's, that the, it's visually a bad movie, but I was thinking like Half-Blood Prince, there was a lot more for me like visual treats that justified the screen being bathed in darkness at certain <laughs> points. Because I knew that like it, like certain intentional lighting schemes were going to follow. I mean, it, it looks beautiful. But this one is just like, these are just really dark woods and you're going to have to wait two minutes before <laughs> they're back in a well, <laughs> yeah. passes for a well-lit room. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have uh later on when we get to the make one change, I'll talk about my my uh concerns about the end, but I think my number one complaint is just there's no more Harry Potter now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, finish up the one thing. Thank God when Voldemort like storms the castle again victoriously at the end, they like gloat over Harry's dead body. <laughs> I was like, Thank God it's daybreak. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you would have I mean to try and imagine the gif of like Voldemort's awkward hug with Draco if it was like pitch black. Yeah. Well, and they're all wearing black too. Yeah. 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 It would have robbed us of something really important culturally to not be able to gift that scene of Voldemort. Exactly. Draco (laughs) I wonder if it's true that that wasn't in the script. I read that. Yeah. That, that uh, Tom Felton like didn't know what Ray Fiennes was doing. (laughs) I think think that's a meta statement for the entire production. Uh, All right. Well, let's talk a little about the source material, just like book stuff. Uh, Heather, do you have any any specific kind of book things that stood out to you as being different? Or um, I love this movie so much; it's hard <laughs> for me to even think. Um, like the Harry Rot, the Ron and Hermione kiss was one of those things. Um, I can't even think of anything that I thought was so glaring, glaringly different. I feel like I just have like a lot of little stuff that's like, oh, I wish they could have got that in. Um, like when Harry goes to Ravenclaw Tower and then he has to hide because, uh, like I think one of the, one of the Death Eaters shows up and then McGonagall comes in and, and they're like, Harry Potter's here. And she's oh. just like, what are you talking about? Harry Potter belongs in Gryffindor. Right. And it's like such a nice McGonagall moment. Harry is like so, so touched, you know? Yeah. I get super choked up every time I read that part of the book. <laughs> I think it's a great it's a great McGonagall scene because she's not particularly affectionate and she's not like um, she's not really overtly proud. So it's just such a maternal thing. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just love that part of the book, too. I really do. Yeah. 
Also Kelly McDonald. Um so the <laughs> the the mirror thing you mentioned in the previous episode, Benji, of the shards. Oh the they moved that to this movie. Yes. Kind of, yeah. The the mirror that Sirius had given right. Harry. I mean they, they never really explain it. Even in this movie, they're just like, Oh yeah, it was Sirius's mirror and it's like, Well, why does Harry have a shard of it? Yeah. And why does why does Aberforth have it? Oh, and I was mm. like I'm watching it this because I you know I didn't remember this movie as much since I saw it in the theater that one time. And I'm like, holy shit, is that Sierra Hines? Oh my god. And now I'm like, <laughs> do I have to picture Sierra Hines doing something unnatural with a goat? <laughs> <laughs> but uh I think uh one of our listeners, Sarah, was talking about how something they left out was like the theme or playing with the idea of Harry's anger towards Dumbledore, like that, that he was mm-hmm. always left in the dark, he didn't trust him. And it's like now in the movie, it's played out with like Dumbledore's brothers really investing in the character assassination of his deceased <laughs> brother via being <laughs> shitty to this kid. Yeah, I think that scene probably would have landed more emotionally if we'd gotten a little bit of Harry's kind of doubting Dumbledore and kind of the, the backstory there. Because, yeah, it is just it's like, man, this guy's like really shit talking his brother for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And on a first meeting with these these kids. Um do Harry and Voldemort have that weird, not weird, uh, like Reichenbach fall moment together in the book? No. no, but it's a really cool scene in the, I remember when that, that actual scene is in the trailer. And when I was like, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a upside down dance towards death or whatever. Um, right. And then they vape together. The, can we talk about just again, like Snape's like Batman move as he like, gets the hell out of the uh the dining hall well yeah he like kills two people like deflects mcgonagall's curse and kills two people on purpose <laughs> yeah oh does he oh i didn't even know doesn't that. he doesn't he kill the caros he does yeah. he kills the caros i didn't notice and that that was him oh that's neat that that's the like that's one of those things that's very cool effect but also like you can't apparate in and out of hogwarts <laughs> so, haven't you read hogwarts the history there it's are some honestly harry benefits <laughs> to being me oh I, <laughs> I almost expected snape to like transform into bats or something like the yeah. way he does it it's very dracula-ish oh i i think we would have heard a lot more batman memes of snape mm-hmm. Past few years, if he had actually done that, because he is very, he's very Batman in that moment. He is kind of like Hogwarts is Dark Knight, you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted like the ghost of Lily to be like, like Snape, you don't owe these people anything anymore. You've given them everything. And he's like, <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> One thing that kind of stood out to me rewatching this, the the Gray Lady, uh, Helena Ravenclaw, and her whole whole backstory. I almost feel like they could have just cut that. Like yeah. if if they had like set up like if we had seen Harry hiding the the potion book with the you know putting the tr on the the bus like it almost seemed like like that scene was such nonsense to watch <laughs> it was like you maybe just could have cut this entirely. It's such a weird. They cut out so much. It's just like such a weird thing to keep in. It's such yeah. a weird time of the movie. Mm-hmm. You're you're totally right. And, and like he's like, I'll destroy it, which is like the opposite of what he would say in the book. Um, right. And yeah. And like if you if you weren't a book reader, like when they start talking about like if you have to ask, you'll never know. And if you know, right. you won't know. Like, what does that even mean to somebody who doesn't know what's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, one thing I did notice, it was different. Voldemort knows when a Horcrux is being destroyed. Right. Uh, what did you think about that, Heather? I mean, 
<clears throat> Aside from the fact that they uh, cut into Ron and Hermione's kiss to explore both Voldemort and Harry feeling that at the same time, I was fine with it. I just want to see Ron and Hermione kiss. Is that so dumb? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I actually... I know a lot of people got really frustrated, even in the with the book, with how connected uh, Voldemort and Harry got toward the end. But mm. uh, I didn't. I didn't mind it at all. It's like a fantasy trope, and I didn't mind. I didn't mind the. It did. It did like make his anger more urgent, I guess. And it's more cinematic, I think. Probably. Yeah. I yeah. I just like that they touched on the uh, he's wounded, so therefore he's more dangerous. Right. I, I like that. But then I kept thinking, like, this is the Dark Lord. Cannot be named. He's been systematically taking over, you know, England for the past, like, few years. He almost, like, ended the world, well, it seems like. But now he's dangerous, guys. <laughs> Careful. I think he might be angry. Yeah. If you make eye contact, just back away slowly. <laughs> Um, I do think a great, uh, I thought the book did great justice, uh, the movie did great justice in the book scene where Molly Weasley kills Bellatrix, not yes. my daughter, you, it's a great line, it's a shocking line in the book, it's a great moment in the movie, I thought they handled that exceptionally well, and I'm so glad they kept it in. Now, when you say that to the Roomba, like, how spot on is your impression of Molly Weasley? I feel like it's really good, but I did a podcast earlier today with some people who made fun of my accent, and so now I'm like too self-conscious to try to. Okay. <laughs> I just I see you like then kicking it, you know, against the wall. Oh my god, my girlfriend would lose her mind. She's like, she'd be like, "Do you know how much we paid for that?" <laughs> I was just, gonna, I was just like, that's, <laughs> that's the instant follow-up. I instantly read that. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple other just slight changes in dialogue that. And it annoy me. It's just kind of like, ah, why'd you do that? Like when Harry, he says, I'm ready to die to the golden snitch. He should say I'm about to die because right. he's not really ready. <laughs> like he just, he has to. Right. Um, and then I, I really liked when, when Voldemort, he's waiting for Harry and he thought Harry's going to show up. He says, it seems I was mistaken. And then Harry says, you weren't like, it's kind of just like a badass line for Harry. Which they said is. that in the movie. There are a lot of good badass one-liners in this movie like every character kind of gets a badass one-liner send-off like uh oh neville's glide like you and whose army like there's <laughs> a little army neville yeah yeah Neville's a little cocky there well just i loved luna just being like like listen you asshole yeah, listen, listen to me. me listen to me that's a great scene for her yeah and it's filmed beautifully too on the staircase yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah like it when they uh, uh bust out his full name you know harry potter you listen yeah. to me. <laughs> uh, so let's just kind of move into the general discussion here. I wanted to throw something out there. There's a like a, a fan theory that I'm, I'm not sure if Heather has heard about, but kind of interested to see what you think of this, of, of what would happen if Harry had actually died. Have you like read anything about this? No. Uh, so the theory goes, like, say Harry did actually die and wasn't able to come back, like, how would it play out from there? And they basically posited that uh, Neville would still kill Nagini and Molly Weasley would still kill Bellatrix. And then for Voldemort, uh, the theory goes that Ginny Weasley, because she would be the one with the biggest connection to Voldemort at that point because of the diary and whatnot. Oh, right. Uh, and she's like, I think she's like the seventh child of a seventh child, which is like, a, you know, a magical thing. 
Right. Uh, and she had Harry's protection charm on her, so she would be the one to duel Voldemort to the death. Like, that would be pretty cool. That seems, yeah, I actually, that damn, I really buy into that. I think that is exactly what would have had to happen. Huh. What a world that would have been. I, I can't know. even wrap my mind around that. It almost, like, would be fitting in a way, like, maybe, like, more fitting. I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I only kind of have an idea of how, like, the Divergent books go, and so I kind of wonder, like, there's something similar to that, I want to say, but that would be, that would be really interesting, the way to end it, like, the impact that Harry Potter, or Harry Potter had on, a on all these characters' lives, and, because it's, it's like he dies, like, loving the wizard community, so therefore, right, there's, like, a protection spell, and, and on everyone, reason, yeah. on everyone, and the reason he can come back is because Voldemort was resurrected of his blood, right? Right. Yeah. I'm asking this for my own benefit. <laughs> Obviously, you guys are the professors. Well, I mean, kind of like in that scene in the book when it's like, all right, let's get some explanations from Dumbledore. And they get to, like, the wand <laughs> business. Like, why why was his other wand able to, like, fight off uh, Voldemort at the, the start of the book? And Dumbledore is basically like, well, I've got some vague <laughs> ideas, but... <laughs> um. So I want to ask uh, you guys, going into the seventh book... Who did you think would die and like who surprised you? Hmm. And did you think Harry would really die? I wasn't really spoiled, but I, I kind of knew somehow that like that like there was a question about Harry dying. I didn't really know what happened, but I was kind of expecting something to happen where he dies or almost dies or something like that. Um, other characters, though. I don't think I really expected Ron to die. Um, wasn't expecting poor Fred to die. I guess I wasn't really thinking about who would die. And then, like, it's like Lupin and Tonks. It's like, wow, that was kind of brutal. Like both of them. Oh, the the imagery in the movie, like that's that's to me like one of the smartest things the Yates did, where they don't quite touch hands there in the the tower or whatever. Right. And then when you see their bodies on those stretchers and they're not quite touching hands again. Yep. That's mm. hardcore. Ugh. Yeah. Poor Lupin. <laughs> should uh should have a shot every time our, our heart cries. <laughs> oh gosh. Or yeah. Us up. yeah I think... We'll all be slurring our words by the end. I was gonna say, like, I almost like didn't want to think about who would die, you know. Right. Um Yeah, I mean I I mean I just plowed through these, so there wasn't much of a break. I mean, when I finished Half Blood Prince, I just picked up <laughs> Deathly Hallows and kept going. I, I seriously slept like two hours a night, like during that <laughs> period, because I was just reading constantly. My having only read the seventh book, and like the the book does a fairly good job of, I think, even not knowing nuances necessarily, giving you an idea of what you're what you're doing. Plus, I had the internet to aid me a little bit, but I guess I just I was more on the lookout for what was the clever twist because I felt like there had to be, you know, some kind of loophole of logic that was in front of you the whole time mm-hmm. and it ended up being you know what a lot of people could guess harry is the horcrux right um, and i thought that was genius because that's when it you know it hits home at the, what the story is about like it's about accepting death no don't conquer it don't avoid it just kind of meet it at some point when it's right i do think that the movie did a nice job of foreshadowing that he's a horcrux by kind of like he has this like horcrux spidey sense Mm-hmm. Um, which it works just narratively because they never showed us some of those Pen C flashbacks. So they, they kind of had to come up with a new way for him to find the other Horcruxes. 
Uh, right. But also, it's I think it, it's a cool foreshadowing. Like, like obviously, there's something going on because he can sense these so easily. Mm-hmm. What about you, Heather? Did, who did you think was going to die? Snape literally cries memories. <laughs> he truly cries memories. <laughs> um, I I always thought that Ron would die. Mm-hmm. And I was really sad about that, obviously. Um, the saddest death to me is Fred because, like, there, it's like all of these people, all the deaths are sad in the book, but, like, when you think about Fred dying, you think, like, how does George, like, live the rest of his life? And I just can't imagine a world where George can, like, live a full life with yeah. Fred. Yeah, it's like not only did they kill off a Weasley, but they killed off one who's, like, almost half of another person. You know, I mean, like really? They're, they're a unit, and to have right. one of the twins go, it's like, wow. <laughs> what? What is he like? How does he even run a joke shop now? Just, well, yeah. Just imagine, like, the last page, you have that same last line where it's like, uh, Scar hasn't hurt for 19 years, all was well. And it's like you flip a few pages, and it's just like, but George, man, <laughs> <laughs> shit got dark. <laughs> no one talks about what happened to him anymore. I think J.K. Rowling has, in fact, apologized for killing Fred. I think she, in, in retrospect, realizes that she definitely ruined George's life by killing him. Well, it, it almost seemed like she felt she had to kill one of the Weasleys to, like, like kill, be kill realistic. Percy. J.K. Rowling, yeah. kill Percy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone would have minded. I mean, I guess that's why, in dramatic sense, you kill Fred, because right. no one would have been that sad for Percy dying. But well, <laughs> It actually, I mean, it would have felt more, I don't know, kind of classically you know tropey it's like percy he finally comes back to the light side and you know dies heroically like that would have been nice i'm head boy yeah Yeah. (laughs) so who do you feel worse for though do you feel worse for george or do you feel worse for uh like uh remus's and tonks like kid no i don't feel i think it's like a interesting idea to think that someone is reliving harry's life like you know harry's parents died Mm -hmm. fighting Mm -hmm. voldemort but then you think about this kid grows up in the wizarding world full of so much love. Like he has a life Harry could have had without his parents. So I don't, but I, cause especially in a situation like that where you never knew your parents, but you know, George and Fred spent 18 or 19 years basically inhabiting the same space and mm-hmm. orbiting around each other and finishing each other's thoughts. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I Teddy Lupin, Teddy's going to have the, the entire extended Weasley family of, you know, the, the main Weezy clan and then like Ron and Hermione and their kids and Harry and Ginny, like he's going to be okay. I and mean, it's not like sure he won't miss like having his original parents on occasion, but I think that's, that's different from George. Who's like now just like had like a part of him like ripped away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. <sighs> and Teddy and Victoire are snogging. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wonder yeah. if the, the, the joke shop become like uh funeral home or something no i I think jk rowling has mentioned at some points or other that like he they kept going and i think ron went to work there and like help out eventually or something like that yeah ron went to work to help so harry's a magical cop Mm -hmm. ron works in a joke shop ron was an r for a while but then he went to work at the joke shop yeah because of the uh like ia hearing (laughs) 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 they were like you're actually kind of terrible at your job ron well, because they like waived all the the educational requirements. They're like, if you survive the Battle of Hogwarts, you can be an R if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
one funny little moment I noticed towards the beginning of the movie, I think it's when they're talking to Ollivander, and Ollivander is saying something about how, you know, Voldemort's going to come after Harry now with the Elder Wand, and, and Harry says, I suppose I'll have to kill him before he finds me then, and Hermione has this look on her face in the background, like, she's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely into that that courage and bravery he's shown there. I was just so glad to see John Hurt, like, return to this series again, like, devouring scenery. <laughs> I always love John Hurt in anything. Um... This is a like most of my notes are chronological. This is one that's not. Sorry, I don't know why. Is one of the Caros were both the Caros the Defense Against Dark Arts teachers that year? Yeah, I think that's according to that's. I think. Yeah, I can't remember if it's both of them or just one, but because they're practicing the curses on the first year students. Right? Yeah, like, like the Crucio and Imperial. Okay. okay. I also thought Green Gots as a, a design was kind of like prescient, uh, like good marketing sense that like. It's like an underground roller coaster. It's like, this will be perfect for the inevitable, uh, you know, like theme park that you make. Well, yeah, in a way that like the Temple of Doom wasn't <laughs> complete enough with right. that in mind. Um, but Bellatrix's vault, I was totally thinking of Scrooge McDuck. Oh, for sure. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. Also, sorry, sorry real quick question about Horcruxes. So as the mo- in the movie, Voldemort starts to become aware that they're being destroyed. Hmm. Could he not make more? Uh, well, the seven Horcruxes, or you know, six that he intended to make, were like more than anyone had ever done. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe, but I guess it's like it's it's left unclear as to like how many Horcruxes, how many times can you split your soul before you've just like gone too far? I don't know. Yeah, I always thought that he, like, it took him so long to get back into, like, a physical body that I always thought he was, like, leery of doing it because um, because of that. Because no one had ever done it that many times, and if he did it one more, like... Mm. Also, he was, like, did he have anything fancy enough to split his soul into <laughs> again? He he put his so, soul into the fanciest shit. As I understand it, yeah, you're right, true. Because I mean, he, has, he has a kind of, like, upper crust taste. He does. And a, and a weird aristocratic sense of humor about it <laughs> but like you need an object and you need a person to kill but i'm right. assuming you also need like the intention to ooze some of your soul into that object right and then well, the hairy thing because that book is in the restricted section yes. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> presumably it, it like there's some sort of spell involved i would guess yeah okay. but the hairy thing was just because it, it was, was an accident intense. Yeah. yeah okay huh but uh, it, there's a hardcore visual of him surveying those dead bodies with bloody feet. Yeah. Yeah. Grip hook. R.I.P. Man. Grip hook. Well, you know, one thing I noticed, the, like the Gringotts escape sequence, they leave a lot of bodies behind, it seems like. Oh, my gosh. There's such collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And then Voldemort goes in and, like, just busts up everybody afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like the one little goblin who's, like, like i don't know in period so he doesn't realize he should get away from the dragon and just gets like roasted alive yeah yeah (laughs) brutal yeah that's actually one of the most brutal scenes in the movie in the whole series Mm -hmm. i half expected them to come back to ron waving that bell (laughs) (laughs) oh and i think they like they like show like some of like the the goblins and like i don't know magic security just getting like knocked off a cliff and falling into the abyss and whatnot it's like wow I mean, I think it was obviously designed to be a, a laugh moment, but I laughed a little too hard when Grip Hook was just like, good morning? 
your Beltrix <laughs> Lestrange. You don't say good morning. <laughs> I'm not used to being told to wait. What does she say? What does she say? I'm not used to having to wait. Yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. There's her, her adorable like. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, Hermione's so terrible at being kind of mean and imperial. Uh. <sighs> one thing that's kind of neat about this movie—it's essentially like one day. Like it's it a really, really long is. day. <laughs> yeah, the longest day. Oh, I love seeing Jim Broadbent like hitting that flask in the background. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention this is a great scene. I don't, I don't know where I would have said it. It's the scene where Filch runs into the Great Hall and he's like, "Students out of bed! <laughs> Students out of bed!" And McGonagall's was like, "They're supposed to be out of bed, you blithering idiot!" Yeah. <laughs> like, and then later on, he's like sweeping. Yeah. <laughs> Filch is just Filch to the very end. Well, it seemed like a point. There was a point in the earlier movies where I generally took him as a certain level of threat. He was a certain level of villain. He was just mean, evil, right. and looked down on their youth and what have you. And then I want to say it's like the dreaded Goblet of Fire. It's like he became this bizarre, cartoonish, like. I don't know, like moment of humor every time, like the weird running he does in Goblet of Fire, <laughs> the knees up as high as he can possibly get them. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. He's got the weirdest, like, I don't know how, like that doesn't take you completely out of reality for a moment <laughs> to be like, holy shit, this guy runs funny. He's rather <laughs> spry for an old guy. Yeah, he, he is. is. He is. Well, it's funny how much the threat of Filch, like early, like books and movies, it's like, oh no, he could give you detention. Whereas, like, by the time you get to, like, the fifth and sixth book, it's like, ooh, detention. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Like, right. Harry just, like, doesn't care at all. Yeah. The guy died in my arms. I don't care about the tension. <laughs> or Filch, when he would still look down on uh, on Hagrid. Pull yourself together, man. <laughs> it's just a dragon. Ugh. Was it just me or was Snape wearing like eyeshadow in this movie? Oh my god, Snape's eye makeup is so on point in this. His eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it wasn't always like that, right? No, it was not. It's the la- in this last film, the eyeliner and the mascara, all of it. He just he's so beautiful in this last <laughs> film, and I don't. I'm not even. I don't even like Snape. Like I know people love Snape and think he's a great hero or whatever. Yeah. I don't even like him, but I was just so <laughs> he's so beautiful in this last film. I think it's supposed to convey that, like, you know, he's not sleeping or it's it's taken its measure on him this past year or or, or something. But I just, I don't know. I just he's inhabiting him. a new punk identity. Yeah, it, he just reminded me of, like, a regal old southern lady or something. Like, his, <laughs> his face has to be on before he, like, you know, it entertains. <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about Snape a little. Because, yeah, I know there's, like, a kind of a popular kind of fan opinion that's like oh he's the secret hero which i don't really get um i did like dumbledore's line you know i should he's questioning snape he's like i should never reveal the best of you severus like that did kind of show that he wasn't all bad or anything but he's he's so mean to harry through the whole series it's like i don't think you're justified in that no no i mean i do think that snape was a hero and i think he was very a very brave wizard but he abused children. Like, he just was so abusive to Harry and so abusive to Neville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not and, just Harry. And he didn't have to be like that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he got away with a lot of stuff. Um, and so I do, like, I don't want to take away from Snape being a really brave guy, but um, I don't understand the Hebrew worship of Snape. 
I'm you sorry. Know, I know everybody loves me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, and there's a part it's like, dude, she she wasn't into you, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a really date rapey kind of thing about Snape, like feeling entitled to Lily, mm-hmm. entitled to her affection, entitled to like her loving him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he just didn't get the girl, he just turned into like a psycho, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's maybe quasi romantic that like after she was dead, it was like he would never love another. You know, um, not even himself. Yeah, not even. But but, but then, yeah, it's like he, from the very beginning, it's like he just expected it. Uh, which you know, I guess you know, if you go back to young teenage years and whatnot, um, people are going to be immature in their emotions. But it, it but never. Like, yeah. Even in the scene where Snape in the flashback where Snape goes and finds Lily's body and he's like holding her, mm-hmm. like baby Harry is like bawling his eyes out having watched his parents get murdered like in the little crib you can see him in the crib just like crying and screaming and like snake does not even pay like one second of attention. shut up baby <laughs> this is about me <laughs> you could get really dark and like imagine like snape taking some for hair for some polyjuice potion and ye. so so two things we talk about how like 15 years down the road, we'd love to see the TV show version of this where all of these moments from the books really get their, their day in court. But like one thing I would not want to see in the TV show is there's more opportunity for someone to use the unfortunate phrase of friend zone. Oh, it's (laughs) so true. But at the same time, I would love to write the weird Snape flashback scene where he, he bears his soul to Lily. And he's like, I'm not telling you to pick me. I'm just telling you not to pick that guy. <laughs> I I think about that, that one day they will remake these movies or remake it in a TV series, and I can see like how neat that would be to cast new kids. But how could they ever replace these adult actors who played? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. every, every professor was just so perfectly cast by some of the most talented actors in the world. I just don't see how they could ever replace them. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever get a better McGonagall than Maggie Smith or, or a better not. Snape than Alan Rickman. No. Let's see. Oh, Lavender dies in this. Yeah. Yeah. In a brutal, very brutal way. <laughs> yeah, by Fenrir. And then Ron and Hermione just go ahead and make right on out. Mm-hmm. It's your ex-girlfriend, Ron. <laughs> Ron's like, I'm not what you would call a sentimental guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, who? Oh, her. <laughs> I wanted like there to be that weird flashback to her like blowing on the glass on the mirror and writing the heart (laughs) (laughs) just to really just stick the knife into people just drive it home and then there's ron just ringing that bell ding 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 ding. um but yeah just that tidal wave of passion that finally overcomes ron and hermione like that was that was Uh great but you're right it's it's bizarre when it's juxtaposed of voldemort's like furious magicasm yes like lashing because that's what really breaks the shield around Hogwarts, right? Is that right. he's so insanely angry. Yeah, I forgot that Fenrir was a werewolf because I thought he was a vampire. The way he was like devouring Lavender's neck. Mm. Right. It was so weird. Are, there are no vampires. Are, oh yeah, I guess there are. Well, they're vampires. we don't like see them, mid- but they exist. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. One one little bit I liked was when uh, when Harry reveals himself to like Snape. Uh, and then Ginny comes and stands in front of him. I like that. <laughs> like she's going to protect Harry. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about all the Slytherins being forced to leave the castle? 
it seemed a little punitive. I mean, I think in the book, it's basically like, like they don't just like any Slytherin has to go. It's more like, you know, if you want to stay and fight and you're of age, you can, but it's not like we're going to single out the, the evil house and get, you know, send them to the dungeons. It seems like the Slytherins though, from the very beginning are like kind of getting an unfair treatment. And I'm not necessarily a pro Slytherin, but it's like, Hey, guess what? Slytherins in the first movie, you win the house cup, but due to some <laughs> jiggering of the point system here. <laughs> now nah, you just lost it. Sorry. Hope you like being winners for 45 seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think the sixth book goes such a long way to show um, Malfoy as a really sympathetic... Draco Malfoy mm-hmm. as a sympathetic character who has been brought up to believe this one thing and he's kind of bought into it and now he's just... He's like... He just wants to keep his family alive. He just loves his family and he's scared and he's in over his head and it just really humanizes him. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was just another example of Voldemort's weakness of not understanding love like Narcissa was always going to care more about her son than she was about his stupid war you know and he just like he 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 didn't understand you know why like except for somebody like completely insane like Bellatrix like he was always going to have trouble with his followers when he kind of asked them to choose between their own son and you know himself right he 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 literally he dies both times because he does not understand the way that a mother loves Mm-hmm. Their the, the child, like twice, he dies because of that. Dumb Voldemort. Do you notice how the Death Eaters like burnt down the Quidditch pitch? That's actually a pretty cool scene. Uh, it's uh shocking, mm-hmm. like to see the Quidditch pitch like fall apart like that. Yeah, it's like oh, no more Quidditch. <laughs> that wasn't you didn't need to do that. <laughs> it wasn't really on the way to anything. It's like screw you, Hogwarts. <laughs> Chaos reigns. Maybe one of the Death Eaters like always hated Quidditch, you know, and like the jocks and whatnot. And he's just like, "This is my chance." It it should have been the what's his name Flint, the guy with like the bizarre teeth. Oh yeah, oh, that guy. first Flint. second one. Yeah. Like, you know. We just assume he's a Death Eater because he's Slytherin. Yeah, that's yeah. That's he was also just a real asshole. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> seriously. Do do you think we needed to see Hermione and Ron go get the fangs? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Except for they had to get away to smooch. Yeah, I mean, it was. I guess it was kind of neat to see that set again. I was like, oh, it was a chamber. I I actually enjoyed. You know, in the book, Harry's there. Obviously, he has to be there because he's narrating everything. But I enjoyed mm-hmm. that Hermione and Ron got to share their first kiss without Hermione, without Harry <laughs> staring at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tapping tapping his watch. Oh, and just being like, "Come on, guys." Right. Every couple has, you know, those mental snapshots of the significant moments, and their first kiss was in some place delightfully called the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> Take that tunnel of love. Yeah, soaked in water. <laughs> I love that in the go back to, you know, spectral King's Cross, Dumbledore can amend his own phrasing while praising it. Oh, like so, that's the, so dumb. the humble brag from beyond. Oh, yeah. I wrote his dialogue down a little bit. He says, words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. I love that line. It's my it's my second favorite line from the book. My my first favorite lines are, of course, it's happening inside your head, Harry, but why on <laughs> earth should it mean that? Isn't that real? I just feel like that reading that line while reading those books just validated everything that I felt about the series. It just mm-hmm. felt like J.K. Rowling was like reaching through to give me a nice little pat on the head. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, the real, the real magic is in your head, but also maybe your heart. Yeah. yeah. Also, Voldemort has a really goofy laugh. He's such a weird dude. <laughs> well, he, he almost seems a little, uh, I don't know if immature would be quite the right word, but he's like a little goofy. Mm-hmm. Like, like when he starts like laughing and hugging Draco, it's like, this is your Dark Lord. Yeah. <laughs> David Yates, after that Voldemort hug, David Yates uh, said that British audiences like you know just whatever but american audiences really like laughed and felt uncomfortable about it and i always wondered like what's the difference like what makes british people watch that and be like oh how totally normal Hmm. and for americans to feel super weirded out by it i mean just something in american culture about i don't know like adults like being too too touchy-feely with kids or something like that like i don't know it's just like Just the most evil wizard of all time, like offering up a hug. Mm-hmm. Like, also, Draco just stands there. He just <laughs> stands there. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Well, I mean, has Draco ever been hugged in his life, too? Eh, probably. probably. So, Marco, you're like really all in on like Draco is abused. But... I think there's, you know, some level of abuse obviously happening, if not verbal, if mm. not just verbal. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't see Lucius as being the most kindest, rewarding, forgiving parent. Narcissa seems nice. And at the very least, he was abused in the sense that he was brainwashed into this incredibly hateful cult. Mm-hmm. At the very least. <laughs> but I mean, he has that that kind of thing where he, his father's probably up at the Voldemort, like the greatest transgressor against him in some way. And yet he still is going to spend, you know, most of his life trying to win that asshole's you know, favor. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just my father will hear of this because of our privilege and you, you humble peasant, like you, you've crossed us and we're, we're the aristocracy, but it's also just like, I'm going to go gleefully tell my father about some injustice to our way of life. And as champions of, you know, pure blooded assholes, we're going to step on you, you trolls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also muggles or not. I feel like the death eaters really could have used the expertise of Hermione's parents. That oh, dentistry, that conclave in the woods, and everyone's like smiling and stuff. I'm like, oh, oh just they, a... they look like um, like the extras from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone has pirate mouth. Like no, like they've never eaten an orange in their life. Well, you know, Lucius is he's such a bastard because it's like you're already like rich. You know, you have everything you could need, and now you have to, like, join some death cult to take over the world. Like, was it not enough? Yeah, yeah like, what? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, what What was not good about your life that you needed to join the Death Eaters? Well, I mean, did he, did he initially think this was just going to be some swanky, like, Illuminati that I'm joining? And, oh, now we're just killing people around <laughs> a boardroom for fun? That's the other thing, too, about Snape. We talk about how hard it was for Snape to go undercover. The woman who died in Deathly Hallows Part 1, oh, the yeah. Muggle Studies teacher, she had it pretty hard, too. <laughs> yeah. As, as he just stood by and watched in deep cover. <laughs> well, I mean, at that point, there's really nothing he could have done, but yeah. <laughs> Do you notice that like people are just like blocking killing curses in this movie? Yeah. Like Arthur Weasley at one point. He basically does like the Harry like Golden Flames thing. Maybe he just needed the moment to bring it out of him. Yeah. Also, like speaking of the, you know, what is Lucius even fighting for? Like 
Voldemort just like kills that one henchman. Like, yeah, it's like, why, why did you ever join this asshole? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. They just, they just ran away like there right before like the final, final battle. I, I love that. Mm. I love just, yeah. They're like, away, nope. run away. <laughs> I was a little bummed. We didn't get an on-screen death for Fred. Yeah. That's in the book. It's the same. It's the same, right? Like Harry doesn't. He's running toward wherever he's going, and he just sees Fred's dead body. No, there's like, actually. It's right there, after. It's, a, it's right after they uh, destroy the uh, the diadem, like when they get out of uh, the room requirement, and it's like this happy moment, and then just like boom, there's a huge explosion, and oh, Fred's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just picturing. Imagine if the Malfoys. They go on the run for a while. They stay low key. They don't even realize that, that Voldemort's dead, right? They're just hiding out, like wearing like Hawaiian shirts <laughs> and glasses with fake noses and mustaches. They're like staying in the same resort as like the Dursleys and like bumping into each other and like, trying trying to keep to themselves. <laughs> I feel like the Malfoys would they would just hate the sunlight. You know, they'd be miserable. Just just like they're running each other on this cruise or whatever, and Lucius just like. <laughs> Tell me your Japanese golfer story. <laughs> <sighs> I would listen to a whole podcast of you just doing impersonations. It would be horrible. <laughs> it's, it's ten minutes of maybe usable material. Mm-hmm. An hour and a half. Of... A lot of Toby voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, like Hermione. <laughs> So, uh, is there more to Hagrid and Harry's like final moment in the book? Because they just hug, and then Hagrid's like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not really. I don't think. I mean, it, it basically just describes how after they killed Voldemort, he's just like going around and kind of commiserating and being there for everyone. But you know, you don't really get a description of individual moments." Hmm. I did like the bit in the book when he goes, they go up, him and Hermione and Ron go to Voldemort, or not Voldemort, uh, Dumbledore's office, and they get like a standing ovation from all the, the portraits. Mm. That was a nice moment. Oh yeah, that's good. That's really nice. Well, should we talk about the epilogue? I'm really curious what you guys think of the cinematic version of the epilogue. It it seems like this is maybe controversial among the fandom. Would that be right? In yeah, that? I I think fandom is very split on this, but actually I think most people I know really hate the epilogue. Really? The the, the words that I would use are tacked on. Because mm. I feel like you have a good last shot there on the bridge that I think if you had no idea, like if, if the source material didn't contain that epilogue, you would just have a moment, you know, kind of like the end of uh, um, The Graduate or something, you know, where like, they just all look at each other like, now what, you know? future's wide ahead of us we can do whatever we want and then it's like it's very final i think that my thing about the epilogue is that if you think about it still to this day people are constantly asking jk rowling questions about what happened to this person and mm-hmm. what happened to that person you know like it's mm-hmm. like it's like we can't get enough like we can't get enough and her world was so richly imagined that she really did know all of this stuff mm-hmm. so i think the epilogue was a way for her to um i, I feel like it was a gift from her to like give people uh what they wanted to know which was like what but now what what happens people just want to keep knowing and keep knowing Mm -hmm. but i do understand why um people have a problem with it in the sense that when you read a young adult series you often 
just want to leave it as a young adult series and then just let your imagination do the rest, mm. especially in such a rich world. Mm. But um, I, I can't fault her for for that. I, I guess. Think, sorry, go no, I was saying, just cinematically, I would have spent another five minutes in this epilogue, like like letting the camera do uh, like a panning victory lap of all the other people there. Because I remember in the, the book, from what I remember, you do get more of a sense of who's of who. Um, like you get a name. And obviously, you're not going to have everyone's name in the movie version, but like you have a name for, for Draco's wife. I want to say more characters show up in the epilogue in the book, right? Yeah, like Teddy and Victoire. And, yeah. Uh, you just get like, more. Yeah. It just, the epilogue in the movie was cool to me, but it felt flat. Like it didn't feel like it had a great purpose. It's it's just here's every like the the main you know five characters you can name survived. It's Albus's first mm-hmm. day. Um, I kind of wonder if maybe one of the reasons people don't like the epilogue is because it's like telling you like, and they lived happily ever after, and here we're going to show you. So there don't get any ideas about a sequel. You know, a few years down the line or something like. They they just, you know, became normal, happy people. And, you know, it's like it, it kind of removes that idea of like, what other adventures is Harry and, and Ron and Hermione going to have? Yeah, I I think I think that's it. I mean, I, I never minded it myself, personally. It's it, it all made sense. It's like, of course, Harry and Jenny are going to marry and they're going to have a big family. Right. And then Harry was going to name all of his kids after people <laughs> he cared about. And Jenny yeah. didn't get any input at all. <laughs> Which, I don't know, is Albus a better name than, like, Hugo? Hugo's a pretty solid name. Um, I really like the name Hugo. I uh, I have no problem with it in the book at all. And it has a great last line there. But it's it's in the movie, it just didn't feel necessary to me. It also, everyone in the theater when I saw it the first time, like, really laughed really mm. uncomfortably. Because I think it was just super weird to see those kids like that. Like the makeup. Um, yeah, everyone just was like. <laughs> but wasn't this? Wasn't it a big thing at the time that this was like the second version? Like they had shot a version. They had to reshoot looked, it. Yeah, they all looked older. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is funny talking about this post all this Back to the Future Part Two stuff. Um, when you look at pictures of like forty year old Michael J. Fox in that movie, and then like actual forty year old Michael J. Fox, what have you? Right. Right. Um, which I have to think had to be some kind of reference, you know, for the makeup department to a certain degree. Just how people will most likely age. Mm. I, I think one of the 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 downer moments for me with the epilogue is just me realizing that I'm actually the same age as Harry Potter, and then I just felt old. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like you, then you have to start dealing with your own mortality. Like mm-hmm. it's like the book sets you up to deal with your mortality, and then it's like now let's try it. <laughs> yeah. Now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, it's like other than just imagining, like oh, I wonder what they'll do in the future. It's like. No, here we are, like 19 years later. Yeah, they, they just had kids. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody just got older and had kids, and they have jobs. Right, mm. right. Do uh, Neville and Luna end up together? Not in the books, but in the movie, yes. Okay. I always like the description in the book after Voldemort dies. It's just like Neville, he's like got like the sword, and he's like on his shoulder or something. He's just like chilling with the, the sword of Gryffindor <laughs> and like, all of his admirers are surrounding him. You know, he's like holding court. Yeah, I I love the scene where Neville um, kills Nagini because it's just such it's filmed in such a kick ass way, and Neville's been through so much, and he just deserves that moment. Mm-hmm. Cinematically, he deserves that moment. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder what the filmmakers thought where like the cast is kind of like, you know, supposed to be this dorky little kid. And then he like grows out to be like this like hunky dude. You know? Oh, he's such a heartthrob. I actually remember between the fifth and sixth movie, people being like, "Why they why they recast Neville? Like who <laughs> they who's this?" And I'm like, "Nope, same guy." Mm-hmm. I think Just, the the kid who plays Big D, who plays Dudley, has it worse yeah. though, right? Um, but I, I think they did a good job. I can't remember the actor's name. They did a good job though of making Neville like he's not like Joe Cool though. You know what I mean? He's still a huge dork. Oh, yeah. Super dork. Um, Just his moment of like, you and whose army, huh? <laughs> but you just know this guy's going to be a late bloomer, though. I mean, yeah. yeah. But so, like, why isn't he doing action movies or something? He's just taking his clothes off or modeling. Yeah, he's a hot now. He's <laughs> like a... Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I think <laughs> it was... Uh... The lesbian thinks he's a really big... Yeah, I, I like this. I like that guy. I think he's a really nice person. And just that's the other thing about this series is it just turned out so many well-adjusted adults um, he, who just seem like really nice people. Emma Watson basically just became Hermione. Like, yeah, yeah she kind of did. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine like a more positive outcome you could imagine for a young actress than like who she grew up to be. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Dan Ratcliffe knows what rehab is like. <laughs> Other than that, um, yeah, I, I'd say everyone did pretty well. I feel like Heather, you've just, you've just—is it? It's Matthew Lewis, is that right? Yeah, Matthew yeah. Lewis. Yeah. I feel like you just oomphed Matthew Lewis into like Zoolander two. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of did. You're right. <laughs> which, would be, which would be great. Yeah. I, I like. Did you see? I think when he Long did bomb. that, so when he did that photo shoot, J.K. Rowling tweeted uh-huh. him like, "Oh, that's very nice. Now please put your clothes on." <laughs> I love that they laughed at his name. All the deaf eaters. Seriously, that's your name? Neville Longbottom? Really? Ah, <laughs> what did you think of like gross baby Voldemort in uh, King's Ooh. Cross? That's a, that's a gross visual, but yeah. affecting. Yeah. I mean, Harry's just like, I- I'm sorry, I get this is like heaven or whatever, Dumbledore, but how can I... Th- that's gross. Can we, like, can, we not, can we put the dish back on this thing? Like... <laughs> Whatever this is, I, I'm sorry. I just I saw this and it's really creeping me out. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but just ugh, ugh. <laughs> I was like, where are we exactly? <laughs> so you know that scene? It's it's right at the end, right before he breaks his wand. They're like out on this bridge, and Harry like kind of goes and stands up on this thing for a moment. I was just like, is he gonna jump? Like, what is he doing there? <laughs> now onto my next adventure. Yeah. <laughs> And he flies away. <laughs> also, don't you think it's a little selfish for him to snap the Elder Wand before he, like, magic Hogwarts back together? He could have used the most powerful wand in the world to repair the wizarding school. Totally. And snap snapped it in half. And, you know, I'm sure there's still hungry people in the world. He didn't even fix his own wand. Yeah. He did not. I mean, I think in the book, he basically just says he's going to put the Elder Wand back in the tomb. But yeah. if you really wanted to be final about it, it makes a little more sense to break it. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I mean, I, I don't know, like you know, wand lore wise, would if Harry was then disarmed, would the disarmer have the the powers of the elder wand? I don't know how that works, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at least repair your own wand, Harry. Harry, I just I like the idea that Voldemort's fundamental misunderstanding of how the elder wand works, like conforms to his his belief systems that you know, kill or be killed or something like that. 
and it's it's actually much more i don't know classic and yeah. dueling sportsmanlike well let's let's get into our make one change because uh i have some thoughts about that but uh you guys if you could change one thing about this movie what would it be <sighs> i just think it's pretty perfect i don't <laughs> think i would i i can't think of anything that is so glaring that i would want to change it for me, not glaring. I would. I'm not even sure how exactly. I would tweak the opening just a little bit, um, and I would try to add something to give me more a sense of a completion to the epilogue. Mm. And maybe it's just that it's missing the narrative voice too. So if if I could make one change, I just really loved Harry's. It's like a almost like a reverse Bond villain speech he does at the end with Voldemort where he kind of explains to Voldemort like how he screwed up uh-huh. and why the wand, you know, works for him. And I, I really like that he did that in front of the whole school and like everybody's watching. I just, I wish they could have moved the, the little final confrontation between Harry and Voldemort into the great hall. So everybody could witness it. Cause it was just such a cool like moment when kind of, you know, here's, here's why you failed Voldemort. And you know, the elder wand answers to me and then boom. And then everybody cheers. Yeah. Doesn't he call him Tom at the end too? He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, much like Dumbledore always calls him Tom. Yeah. It's so amazingly condescending. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and Voldemort keeps saying, like, you dare and Harry's just like, Yes, I dare. <laughs> well what is well how oh, how does Helena refer to him? It's like the the boy with the confusing name or something like that. <laughs> or the, the the funny name, yeah. Yeah, or like the questioning name or something like that. I, I always love that. All right, well, let's let's do our power rankings here. I'll All go right. first. I have Harry at number one because I mean, it's kind of his movie. Me too. I have him at number one also. I know I should have put Harry at number one, but I put Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> this I respect, is I respect this, you. this is all dragon based. Yeah, she she <laughs> has her real action star moments towards the beginning of the movie. I mean, we talk about Matthew Lewis should be an action star. So should Emma Watson. Yeah. I mean, Emma Watson. I don't think there's any movie she couldn't do. When she tweets at John Boy, I got we should do movies sometime. I'm thinking like, got a bunch of Star Wars movies coming up. <laughs> I think Emma Watson's a pretty good choice for just about anything. Do you know is is the Beauty and the Beast movie they're doing? Is, is she going to sing in that, or is that more of just a drama? No, I think it's just going to be a drama, hmm. but probably like a really uh, fucked up drama, <laughs> grim and gritty. Yeah, I mean the yeah. story of Beauty and the Beast is like Stockholm Syndrome. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all those so, old fairy tales are kind of messed up yeah 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 i mean how many of them involve like cooking a baby they involve something that looks like voldemort's like evil like red <laughs> sauce fetus well the, whole, the metaphor of the beast is like eh, that doesn't really fly in modern times but doesn't that go back to uh cupid and uh psyche or does it I don't know. a little bit a little bit to deal with Eros. Anyway, what's everyone's number two? <laughs> Hermione's my number two. Okay. Yeah, I got Hermione as well. Harry's my number two. Aww. <laughs> I'm happy being the outsider in this particular one. <laughs> you're never wrong to put Hermione on your number one list. Like, whatever the list is, you're never wrong to put Hermione in the top spot. Even if it's not a Harry Potter movie. Oh, yeah. Just when, whatever it's, whatever the list is about. When we start doing Hunger Games and Hermione ends up being my number one. <laughs> You know, it's it's gonna be a biting cut to uh, what I think of the Hunger Games movies. 
Well, even at the end when they're all aged up, she's the only one that doesn't look just sort of weird. You know, like she she looks older, but like the rest of them have like these like big bags under their eyes or like weird makeup. Yeah, she just looks like yeah. Yeah. Like my one of my notes is just that Harry aged a lot better than Ron. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Sorry, Ron, but damn. So number three, I have Snape. I have McGonagall. I actually have Snape as well. Oh, I just realized McGonagall is not even on my list. She probably should be, though. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that she's... was an oversight. But Snape, um, he, uh, you know, he, he dies in a very kind of graphic and bloody way. But uh, I don't know. He, he it, finally, at least, uh, you know, gave Harry a helping hand. Literally gave him his tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's such a weird visual. Like, there's Harry trying to scoop up, like, tears and eye <laughs> makeup. and It's like a glitter nightmare. What's your number four? I have Neville. Huh. Neville's my number four, too. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm like, slightly off from you guys. I actually have Voldemort. Hmm. Why do you have Voldemort? Um... <laughs> All the weird shots of his magicasms, his, his anguish magicasms, his, his head is literally like getting more veiny and weird. He's just <laughs> flipping out. And I just, I remember thinking there was something so clever about the, you know, he, no, he's wounded. I think he's much more dangerous. And I thought that was giving the presentation of Voldemort in this movie much more credit than what was actually happening. <laughs> because he is such a removed villain. I think um, it's it's funny to compare this to like like Lord of the Rings where you have like Sauron, but really you have he's like the catalyst for all these other acts of villainy and, and trials and tribulations and, and stuff. But like Voldemort is your primary villain, and I don't know. It's like they have to write him into the movies more than he is than he is in the books at times, and it works in the book, but it somehow still doesn't quite always work for me in the movie. Well, yeah, I think we talked a lot about Neville, but, um, yeah, he's Neville's just, everything comes up, uh, peaches for Neville in this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, he even got his, he even got his moment in part one. Oh, with the death eaters. Yeah. He's not here. Yeah. Okay. What'd you guys, like, he's like holding it down at Hogwarts, you know, he's keeping everybody together. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys have for number five? Oh, uh, that's actually where I had Neville. Okay. My number five is Molly Weasley. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mine is Ron. Um, but yeah, Molly, I, I have her on my list because I love Molly Weasley. Um, also, but, she's like McGonagall's right-hand man in the movie, you know? Yeah, it, I was watching that when they're like doing the defensive spells. I was like, wait, that's not Mrs. Sprout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, Ron, um, you know, he's... He doesn't get a ton to do, but he's, I don't know, just less. He's hes just kind of grown up, right-hand man kind of guy now. Wait, so Ron is your number five? Yeah. Ron is my number ten. Yeah, I know. You hate Ron. <laughs> uh, what about number six? Uh, that's actually where I have McGonagall. Okay. I have Snape as number six. I have Narcissa Malfoy as number six. Oh my god, I should have had her so much higher. You're <laughs> totally right. That's a good one. That's a good one. That I is re- a good one. I found that I actually really liked her character. 
Um, yeah. You kind of wonder, like, maybe she should have just left Lucius a long time ago. Yeah. I, as much as I, I, you know, I like what Helena Bonham Carter does, and I wanted to see more of her after a while, it's like, I really want to see more of Narcissa, too. Even if she's just in the background of a scene, you know, just reacting, just emoting. <laughs> um, she's such a, a fascinating, like, presence. Like you said, like, the worlds she must see or see through, you know, the drama going on. And she's she's a mom. She's chained to a guy <laughs> like Lucius and all the shit that goes with that. Ugh. And, her, and her, her sister, who's obviously insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like her hair, too. It's a cool look. Yeah. I like how they just take off at the end. <laughs> like once they get Draco back, and they're just like, "Yeah, oh, yeah we're out of here." Scuttle, scuttle off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had Molly Weasley at number seven. So did I. What about you, Heather? What do you have? I'm sorry. Uh, my number seven is um, the dragon. Oh. <laughs> Poor dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets free in the end. <laughs> I kind of wanted the dragon to come back at the end, like during the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> I, I just can't get enough dragons, so yeah. I mean, granted, I don't know why the dragon would, because he's finally free. He'll do whatever the fuck he wants. Go hang on. Yeah, I could have had, like, like, who's it, Charlie Weasley? Just, like, ride in on a dragon or something. Yeah. yeah. What are we at? Eight, eight is my Narcissus slash Bellatrix. Hmm. I, for my eight, I have uh, Narcissa at eight, but I really should have had her higher. But yeah, because, I mean, ultimately, she... Uh, she the only thing standing between Voldemort taking over the world and Harry dying in the end is Narcissa. So mm -hmm. she defies him in a major way. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's the way he wouldn't understand. Exactly. It's like, that's her kid. Of course she's going to care about that. <laughs> uh, I had Lily Potter at number eight. Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. Yeah. I really liked her, her moments in the resurrection zone scene. I liked how Harry is just like, you'll stay close to me, right? Like, you know, he's about to die. He definitely needs his mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for nine, I have Luna. Me too. I have Luna for nine. This is a great scene, like you said already, when she's like, Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. Listen to me. Well, well, that's like the first time we really get to see her like, assertive. put her foot down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, kind of, I mean, it's not just about aiding harry it's about like standing up for herself too right because i mean she's she's the person who so heartbreakingly is aware of what people think of her um throughout the series i mean in the previous movies she's just like let's go father harry doesn't want to talk to us he's just being <laughs> too polite you know or uh, the way she just she absolves her fellow classmates of like hiding her shit constantly like yeah. she doesn't even have shoes at the end of yeah the yeah exactly and she's just like all in good fun it's like oh, <laughs> it's not yeah it's like she's kind of treated as like she's so weird and flighty it's like no she totally notices all the the shit people do to her and say you know things they say about her i uh i actually don't have luna on my list at all and that's really an oversight she really should be on there or my number nine is the uh, order of the phoenix so just kind of oh, catch yeah. all of all this all this that's great that's great true. British actors, including Kingsley. I just love when that guy shows up. I love his look. Yeah, they don't mention it in the movie, but he's made the uh, new Minister of Magic. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yep. He needs like a great catchphrase every time he like apparates in. <laughs> Imagine if he's like you know zooping and like pop pop. <laughs> pop pop. Pop 
or Bazam Zoom. You know? <laughs> I wonder how the the real prime minister felt about that. Like he he lost Kingsley as his like best uh, like uh, oh, yeah. minister aide. You know? He's like, sorry, I, I run the wizarding world now. I, I can't do your like paperwork for you anymore. <laughs> what do you guys have for ten? Uh, I, I oh, you go ahead. I have Ron for ten. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Ron too, right? I have Ron at ten, but he also shares that with Ollivander and Griphook. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I could rate rate uh, Griphook. He, he he turned on them, and but then he got what was coming to him. I guess in the way that I was defining like the the power struggle of these ten people, mm-hmm. it's that he has such an effect on that first act. I guess. Yeah, and also Ollivander because I just I love John Hurt unabashedly. Yeah, I was, I was actually surprised how quickly they went through the uh, Green Got stuff. I mean, it didn't feel rushed, but I remember pausing it, and it's like, wow, they, they get back to Hogwarts like less than a half hour into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, my number 10 is Helena Bonham Carter. Just because <laughs> yeah. not only as Bellatrix, but as, you know, Her- Hermione in Polyjuice Potion. She's just so good. So good. <laughs> All right, well. That brings us to the end of the Harry Potter series. A little sad. I don't know what this cursed child business is, but it, it doesn't sound to me like a real sequel. No, it doesn't. And I, I, my thought about it is I probably will not get to London to see that. And if I do, there's no way that it will take over the imagination, mm-hmm. like a space in my imagination that the books took over. So I'm not worried about it. I guess I'm just surprised about the idea of a two-part play because <laughs> I think of things like, granted, I mean, obviously productions, especially big ones, it's a, it's a much different financial hellscape now. I mean, look at that Spider-Man fiasco. But like, I think of things like The Mousetrap, you know, which has been like running for like 60 years or whatever, uh, and it's no signs of stopping. But then I think like a two-part play, at what point does part one close? Right. What point is that successful? How much money do you have to make? How long do you have to run? How many people get to squeeze into that time period? And it's not just like this is a certain actor's, like he signed up to do a year mm-hmm. stage. It's like the whole production presumably will, will close and then they'll do part two. And what does a cliffhanger at a play look like? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a different energy, you know, when you walk out. Absolutely. I didn't get the impression that it's going to be like a huge kind of technical extravaganza uh just from what i read about it i don't know i could be wrong but it seems like like it's she's not even writing it she's just consulting on it i feel like it's it's going to be much different from what people expect like this isn't like harry potter 8 this is just a like an interesting exercise in theater that features harry potter yeah i mean who you know there's still there's the kind of pressure who plays older harry potter if he's even in it I would think two parts about his kid. I don't know. But, you know, and then I think about people who are, who they'll tweet at us and they'll say, well, how are we ever going to see this if we don't go to London ourselves? And I think, you know, much like I saw the Benedict Cumberbatch, Johnny Lee Miller, Frankenstein that Danny Boyle did, there is probably some theater near you, wherever you live, that plays art house stuff and they'll do these live broadcasts. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Or or I have friends who, you know, that same, that same Frankenstein, they torrented, you know. I mean, you, right. you'll find it, but... I just don't think it's going to be what people are expecting. So I'm not too concerned about it. But yeah, that about wraps it up. I um, really want to thank you, Heather, for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. 
my pleasure. I have enjoyed this series so much. What what's next? The Hunger Games? Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna do the Hunger Games, which <laughs> we're both like dreading and just I mean I, I I like the books, the movies are decent, but it's not Harry Potter. It doesn't like have like a an emotional core the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to thank some people real quick. Uh Sarah who tweeted us that she loves McGonagall in this movie. Uh a different Sarah who has never seen Star Wars somehow. <laughs> Uh, another Sarah who sings opera and likes PLL in this podcast. Uh, Stephanie, thank you, who prefers the Roger Moore Bond. Um, and thanks to Jane, who was asking our opinion of this thing on Tumblr where fans are, I don't know the details, are casting a hypothetical Marauders era story. Oh, that's cool. Um, and she was saying that, that she was really excited about the idea of Karen Gillan playing Lily, which hmm. I could see. Uh, again, my question is just who plays Snape? Uh, uh, just uh. Be no- yeah. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Yeah. <laughs> to the day he dies. <laughs> to his contract. And don't even like like try to make him look young. Just it's Alan yeah. Rickman. Yeah. It's uh what's the phrase? Interpretive memory. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Interpretive memory. Uh-huh. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah, I did want to say thanks to uh some we got some reviews in iTunes. Thanks to Stacy May three, Dina Kim, and uh Yulinawi, maybe. Um always appreciate the reviews in iTunes, so thanks for that. And like we said, we'll be back in a week to do Hunger Games. I guess I should probably go reread that book. Um, that'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be different. Uh, yeah, we'll be back for that. And just in case anyone's curious, we're going to do uh, the, the four Hunger Games movies next. I think if we've timed it right so that we'll be able to do the Mockingjay when it comes out in theaters. And then we're going to do the original three Star Wars movies and the Star Wars sequel. I think the timing's right for that as well. So... That's what we have coming up. And uh, Heather, come back at any time for anything. I would love to. You guys are my absolute favorite. Likewise. Awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Love the Harry Potter series. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye.